Hello and welcome to Upstage, your weekly dose of theatre news and reviews. I'm Rachel. And I'm Abby. This week we're going to do the next in our series on musicals through the ages, through the 20th century. And we're going to talk about the 1930s, which is when, which was a very good decade for musicals. There are lots that you will have heard of, so we've got lots to discuss. But first, theatre news. The next NBC Live musical has been announced and they're going to be tackling hair next. Which is fun, but... It's a bit of a risque show. They're going to have to make some edits, but... Or not. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll just tastefully film it from strange angles. Maybe it'll be on at midnight. I just think NBC, there won't be nudity, but they'll get the general gist, the vibe, and I'm sure they'll have, you know, they'll be close to nudity. They'll get the spirit of nudity. Um, The spirit of nudity. Um, Good name for a boat. (laughs) Yes. But I think it is a good show to do because it it's the sort of show that people are vaguely familiar with and there's definitely a lot of really big numbers that people know yep. but maybe it's not one that everyone's seen or if they have they haven't seen it for a while maybe or there's there's a lot of songs that you will know but you wouldn't necessarily know they're from hair yeah so i got life from the mullet advert and <laughs> age of aquarius age of aquarius let the sun let shine in the sunshine. um there are lots that you wouldn't necessarily know are from the musical hair but they are so i think it's a good one to choose it's one. also a very big cast i was so there's like an opportunity that. for them to cast some really cool people yeah and I've newcomers seen, they can they would do like yeah. a mix of newcomers and like I've already seen some Twitter campaigning for Matt Doyle as Claude, and I didn't even start it. <laughs> Obviously, I think Gavin Creel should be Claude just because he's already played the role. He was yeah. totally nominated. And 15 years ago. A, it wasn't 15 years ago, <laughs> it was less than 10. It was 2009, and he's still got the face of a baby. Barely less than 10, but so, I'll let you have it, that. It is still does less than 10. Does he have the face of a baby, or does he have the face of a 40-year-old man, Rachel? I think that's extremely harsh. <laughs> you put Harry Styles in it. Harry Styles would be amazing in it. They should put Harry Styles He actually in it. would be. He wouldn't he? He could got, be like, Claude. He could be Claude. Okay, Harry Styles for Claude. We've Harry changed Styles our mind. Sorry, Claude, Maddie, we've just decided. Harry. Harry's well, he's in. He's got so many people would watch it just to see what it was he like would. for a start. And I bet he'd do it. He'd be great. He's got a good voice. He's got a lot of charisma. He acts. He's got that vibe. He's got he's that vibe. He's got good hair. I mean, he wears a lot of bandanas. He was good in Dunkirk. He was good in Dunkirk. He was very good in Dunkirk. I think he could pull it off. I really think he could. Oh my God, Harry Styles for Claude. We're starting the Twitter campaign now. <laughs> now. Some more news is that everybody's talking about Jamie. It's going to be made into a movie. Which maybe is, Harry Styles could do maybe that. Maybe Harry Styles could do that. No, I think that's a little bit outside his range. I think he's great, but I don't think he's I mean, that great. They're holding open auditions for this for people who look 16. Um, vague. Very vague. They're having auditions in Sheffield, which is where the story is set, which is very, very nice. It'd be good if they got some real, genuine some Sheffield real, youth. Some real, genuine local people. But then I'd also really like John McRae to still be playing Jamie. Yeah, me too. It, it's not confirmed what roles they're casting. No, yeah, so. that's true. It could be that they take the sort of lead actors, and it's so early on that it makes sense for them to... Be a, like they would be able to do that. It's not like the, they'll look way up, way too old. No, and I assume they'll film in a little bit, so the cast have been in the show for a reasonable amount of time. It wouldn't be ridiculous for them to leave the West End show to film, yep. and still be done in time to take the show to Broadway. Absolutely, <laughs> very exciting though. I yeah. think it's it's strange how um for quite a small show, it's like they're live streaming it in cinemas they're making a movie of it like there isn't yeah, even a the, Hamilton movie yeah when's the last I mean? time of, like Hairspray was the last new show that was made into a movie like a new um, and even then it wasn't so quick but obviously Les Mis is older yeah this is oh, yeah, a course. year after opening on the a West End a year after opening yeah 
they were like, there isn't a Wicked movie, and they've been talking about doing a Wicked movie yeah. for so long, and there still isn't one. They've talked about doing they've a Miss Saigon movie. In the Heights movie. which about the In the Heights that, movie. Which was just bought by... Yeah, bought people. back from Weinstein. That, yeah, and been sold to Warner Brothers, maybe, I want to say. But even all those shows... Yeah, yeah. it's been years and years, and so it's less than a year, and they're making a journey, which is yeah. exciting. And casting just, already. Like, it's not even yeah. just that someone's it's bought like the rights. They they're, they're doing it. Yeah, very exciting. Hopefully it'll be good. Yeah. Next bit of news, which is particularly relevant to my interest is that Jeremy Jordan has announced that he's doing some London shows, um, just solo shows in October, October 28th at Cadogan Hall, just two shows in that one day, but that will be very enjoyable and sure will. I will be there. They've announced the lineup for this year's West End Live, which is, if you remember, the free outdoor concert series in Trafalgar Square it's on the 16th and 17th of June this year. There's a lot of musicals performing. You can see everybody's talking about Jamie, Back Out of Hell, Chicago, Heathers, Kiss Me Kate, Little Shop of Horrors, Strictly Ballroom, as well as returning favourites like Aladdin, Kinky Boots, Lion King, Wicked, Phantom of the Opera, Thriller Live, Limmers. Basically, almost every show is going to be there performing, Ooh. apart from Hamilton. Yeah, not Hamilton. Not Hamilton, which they, is... They don't need it. I mean, they really, really don't. So that is this week's theatre news. Now on to the main portion of events, which is the next in our series. We still don't have a name for this series. We should probably think of one before we do another episode. So yeah, this week we're going to talk about 1930s musicals. The war happened. The Great Depression was going on. It's a very busy time in history. Yeah, so I think the early 30s were really defined by the Great Depression. You would know having lived through them. One show that was influenced and sort of inspired by the great depression was of thee i sing which isn't necessarily a show people have heard of today but was actually um, the gershwin brothers most successful broadway show it was part of a trilogy of political satire shows Mm -hmm. and this kind of basic storyline of this is that there's a competition to replace the star spangled banner as the national anthem and there's these kind of two competing entries for that. So the show is a political satire that kind of ridiculed the whole um, Washington... Um, vibe. Vibe. Scene. The scene. That's the word I was looking for. The whole mm. Washington scene. Um, the executive branch, Congress, Supreme Court, the Navy, the French, just American people generally. It was taken it all down with them mm-hmm. and was super catchy, apparently, but actually, weirdly, for a Gershwin show, the songs are just not songs that have really lasted but I think it must have as a show just really captured the spirit of the time and that's why it was so successful at at the time even if it hasn't necessarily um, stood the test of time I just said time so many times yes and you just said it again then so much time explaining it but yeah The I Sing was the first musical to win the Pulitzer Prize for drama Um, it was also the first musical to be published as a hardback book well, there we are. There we go. Even though the script only took them 17 days to write. I wish I could write a musical in 17 days. No. Never tried, to be fair. Never tried. Maybe we should try. Maybe we should take two weeks off work. Now, here's the thing. Trump political satire musical. I love it. We're on it. We're doing We're it. We're doing it. We're doing it. So this show opened in 1931. Um, so right in the early 30s. And it ran for 441 performances. I think, yeah, many... I think a lot of musicals owe a lot to the sort of groundbreaking sort of like boundary pushing satirical nature of the show and it's also one of the first musicals with more scenes to be sung than spoken so that was sort of another sort of revolutionary aspect of it so yeah it's a good one Uh, yeah as abby said the song sort of haven't entered the public consciousness but um there's one called who cares 
Which, which I is, feel it. You know, I feel that every day. Yeah. Every I think day. maybe it would be interesting to see or, or to take a look at what the show is and kind of... Yeah. As we're at a time of political, uh, like, mess. Turmoil. Turmoil at the moment. It mm. might be interesting to see how much has changed in the past, what, like, yeah. 80, 70, 80 years. Yeah, it'd be interesting. You know, maybe some of it would be depressingly relevant today. So last week we mentioned Cole Porter and one of his biggest musicals opened in 1934, which was Anything Goes. So this is about sea travel, (laughs) which makes it sound so stupid. It's based (laughs) on a book um, by a British writer called P.G. Woodhouse, who you may have heard of. And it's about the sort of efforts of a banker, a New York banker, to win the heart of a nice lady who is sailing to London with her fiancé. So the banker boards the ship that he's on where, and then hijinks ensue, basically, is, yeah. is what I understand. I think he wins the girl at the end, which is... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, so there's big songs from this show that people can obviously... Anything the, the Goes. The title, titular track yes. of Anything Goes. Um, and also You're the Top is another song that... Um, I think stands alone quite often from the show as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I think this one, I think the show itself talks a lot about kind of the changing, the changing tide of kind of society and things at the time. Tide. <laughs> it's about boat. About it. yeah, so yes. good. So good. Um, and I think it was that sort of shift in um, societal kind of structure and norm stuff helped the Broadway musical to develop and kind of. Um, theatre as we know it so it's quite a, a nice one for that 1934 yeah. I feel like it feels a bit fresher than that the yeah the I agree vibes. So, anything yeah. goes the song is very sort of bouncy and more much more modern sounding yeah, I think such a great song like really I think one of the best songs for a female performer yes in, in Broadway shows so yeah it obviously music. had the recent revival on Broadway with Sutton Foster it did which is excellent mm-hmm. um, I cannot recommend enough her Tony performance of Anything goes. Absolutely. So much ta- tapping. And Love a tap singing. dance. Yeah. It's a, yeah. So it's very classic Broadway in the in the whole tap broad kind of yes show. So another classic musical from the nineteen thirties is Porgy and Bess, which was a sort of groundbreaking. It, they call it a folk opera, yes. um, specifically for African American classical singers, which blends lots of different musical styles into one show. Yes. Yes. This was another Gershwin musical, so written by the Gershwin brothers and the Haywoods. So Porgy and Bess is, I guess, an interesting um, show in the timeline because it was completely sung through, which most of the shows, or all of the shows we've talked about so far, have been um, some spoken and Mm -hmm. some song numbers. But this is sung through, just like operas. So obviously, before musical theatre, operas were the sort of close thing to musicals for kind of the masses and i think this is the first show that although it is sung through and it's kind of was called a folk opera was very distinctly a musical so it was very distinctly a different genre to those mm-hmm. um other more classical operas even though it is written for classical voices classically trained singers and the kind of big difference is the kind of different musical genres that it, it pulls from so it has kind of Russian classical influences, but also blues, jazz, traditional Jewish music, and the traditional African American forms, which the show kind of reflected um, really heavily. So it's just an interesting one 
there's quite a few musicals now like we were talking about Rent is sung like yep. Hamilton's sung through or rap through Miss so, Saigon is sung through Les Mis is, Les sung, Mis is through. sung through so there's a lot of big musicals that are sung through but it's always interesting and I think it's a very tricky thing to define what makes a musical a musical rather than opera mm-hmm. if it's sung through but this is the kind of first thing that's just looking at all the different genres in terms of the musical influences mm-hmm. and again there's been a recent revival of this on Broadway with yes, Audra McDonald and Norm Lewis yes which I wish we could have seen I'm sure it was amazing yeah. obviously it ran for quite a while it ran for 322 performances and won two Tony Awards it did it was quite so. controversial at the time though um because a lot of the um characters the black characters were promiscuous gamblers drug takers they're not the not necessarily the the good guys and mm. um it fell out of favor during the time of the civil rights movement where i think people wanted to see um black people have positive people representations on the exactly stage, yeah. um so I think it's I think it's kind of a good thing that it's come back and obviously um we shouldn't be in a place where we have to have yeah positive portrayals of of minority characters you know any portrayal you know people are people whatever yeah. all that stuff but you know I get why when there's so little representation you'd want them to be the good guys but you know i don't know what i'm saying now and i'm worried i'm wading into difficult waters so we can <laughs> Wade move back out. on step out of the water yeah so while all this was happening on broadway a very popular west end musical of the time in fact the longest running west end musical of the 1930s was me and my girl which was set in london so the war had started at this point and me and my girl actually didn't run continuously because of the war but um, unlike many productions, it actually managed to survive the Blitz, which is good. So yeah, Me and My Girl is set in London and it follows a sort of ne'er-do-well cockney gambler who um, is an illeg- illegitimate son of an earl and becomes the heir to a title and a fortune. Um, and he is reluctant to sort of leave his normal life in London and his girlfriend to move in with the rich people of Mayfair. Um, and it's about him becoming the person that he needs to be to fit in with his new crowd. So it's about a sort of class makeover. Um, and it features the very popular song, or at least I remember like dancing to this when I was in school, um, The Lambeth Walk. Maybe that was just me. I swear we did like <laughs> when we were very, very young. And I think it sort of was so popular because it epitomised sort of London fighting spirit and people liked kind of the good humour of it. And it was just something to enjoy when, you know, the blitz was happening and everything was depressing. You know, it's lively. It's got kind of bouncy tunes it's a fun show um and i think that's probably what london needed at the time yeah so me and my girl had lots of revivals um in the years after its launch but in may 1939 it was actually broadcast on television which was the first time that a musical had ever been broadcast on television and in 1940 it was turned into a film very very quickly after it first opened it's also interesting worth mentioning that in the um 80s it was revived in the west end had an eight-year run and it starred robert Lindsay and emma thompson a great cast which i think definitely would have seen it yeah Yeah. like that sounds amazing it does sound very very Um, good bring it back (laughs) every show i'm like yeah let's see this one again i do think there's not enough revivals yeah, there's too many jukebox musicals and not too enough many, revivals exactly we should do short runs of revival like four or five months runs of classic shows yes that's what we need more of and less thrillers of the world thank you we couldn't really talk about the 1930s in musicals without talking about perhaps the most famous and best loved movie musical of all time which is of course The Wizard of Oz 
Yeah, so throughout the 30s, movie musicals, the industry of musical movie musicals was booming, basically every film that came out. So obviously the big stars of the time were kind of um, Fred Astaire, Fred Astaire Ginger, Ginger Rogers, Rogers and um, Judy Garland, like all these people who, all these kind of song and dance mm-hmm. legends. So obviously Wizard of Oz is based on a book by L. Frank Baum of a teenage girl from Kansas who finds herself in the, the magical land of Oz. Lots of songs were written for the film, such as Ding Dong the Witch is Dead, a classic. We're off to see The Wizard and, of course, Over the Rainbow, which won the Oscar for Best Song and the film score won Best Original Music at the Oscars and it was nominated for Best Picture, which I feel like at the time, a lot of movie musicals must have been because they were the biggest sort yeah. of pictures. At the time that it came out, it actually had something of a mixed reception, but obviously it went on to conquer the world. It was re-released in 1949 and 1955 and in 1956 it was shown on television for the first time. That was sort of the first step in its rise to the cult film that it still is today. Yeah, it really is iconic. It is an iconic film. Um, and obviously later became a stage show as well. Mm-hmm. It also obviously later became a stage show, but that wasn't actually until the 80s when Imelda Staunton originated the role of Dorothy Gales. So it lived just as a film for quite a while. And then obviously it had the recent revival in the West End when Andrew Lloyd Webber did a little, one of his little reality shows to cast Dorothy, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and I did see it. Did you see it with Daniel Hope? I didn't. Did you not? It was good. No. It was good. She was more distracted by the dog than anything else, which, to be fair, who wouldn't be? But it was good. I enjoyed it. It was a very big production. Um, and just fun to see it on stage, really. So that's the 1930s. That is the 1930s in musicals. I'm excited for the rest of this series. Yeah, what we really, might learn. It's very interesting and putting things into context. There's a lot of shows, it turns out, I just have no idea when they came out and the sort of order that things happened. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of going into the golden age of musical theatre mm-hmm. um, in the 1940s next week. So there'll be a lot of big shows to talk about then. Ball bulletin. Any news? Well, chess is now done. Chess is now chess closed. Is- Chess is over. Chess Mm -hmm. has been chessed. But it has been announced that um, Mr. Ball will be performing at various... Stately homes. Stately homes across the country throughout July with Il Devo, who are like a pop opera Do you know, the Il Devo version of Oh Holy Night is one of my favourite Christmas songs. Interesting. I mean, Oh Holy Night is one of any version, to be honest. But the Leah Michelle version, the David Archuleta version. I'm not picky. (laughs) But I do like the Il Devo version. I have a special But they're my not quite Archer, are they? <laughs> Nobody is. So that's what Michael Ball will be doing this summer. Maybe we'll try and get ourselves down to one of his castles and see him well, in concert. We, where's Alnwick? I just don't know. We'll go to Alnwick. We can go to Reading. That's not far. Oh, I was hoping that one of them might have been on your birthday, but he's not got a show on your birthday. Oh, we can't go, can we? Oh, and they're all before your birthday. I can't even oh, get you this no. as your birthday present. <laughs> oh, gutted. <laughs> Sorry about that. Any other news from you? What have you been watching recently? Not a whole lot. Just oh. been living my life. Um, okay. I feel like maybe I should say that I thought the end of season two of uh, of Thirteen Reasons Why was a lot better than the beginning of season two of Thirteen Reasons okay, Why. Okay, interesting. I'll say that mm. it found, eventually, found its feet. I'm just quite excited that Love Island's back on Monday. <laughs> I heard that the cast is pretty. They look average. But then last year's didn't seem like much before they went in, I didn't think. Is it Love Island that Danny Dyer's daughter Danny Dyer is on? She's on, yeah, but she was on Survival of the Fittest. Oh, okay. Which was like 
a fake Love Island fit in between Love Island seasons, but she had to leave really early because she dislocated her shoulder or something Tragic. doing like the first challenge. So Danny Dyer's daughter, Danny Dyer, is on Love Island. I saw that Danny Dyer has given his daughter, Danny Dyer, permission to have sex on TV. That's so generous of him because How she'd kind. said that she wouldn't. And then last year's winner was like, she will. So now I'm glad to know that she's got Danny Dyer's permission to have sex on TV. What a show. You should I watch mean, it. Like when you, it's just like the perfect show for when you get in from a long day of work and you need something on. You, you want it to be more than just like music, but you just don't want it to be anything you have to really think about. But I think there's too much of it. I'll get over, that's I'll the get best bit. It's like Big Brother. Like it's like it's constant. It's yeah, but there you know you. that I get too into these things. Yeah, oh, you'd get extremely into it. But that's why I think you should watch it. They're all beautiful, stupid people having arguments, kissing a lot, wearing nice clothes while tanned at least it's great the world's full of too many ugly stupid people it is <laughs> so true so yeah i'm very excited about that and about queer eye season two which is coming <gasps> out on so june excited. 15th and i'm so excited so excited i'm so I, I really hope that this is the frequency they keep releasing yeah. i just every think that they should months. do queer eye like eastenders yeah every or, or maybe not but maybe like once a week like casualty or whatever those shows yeah. that are just They're always just constant on. i need just, it i could life. do one a week it's probably better for me for them to you know space it out a little space bit. It out like for my own good maybe put yeah. it on a Wednesday help us all through hump day you know yes a new Queer Eye every week from now until the end of time thank you mm-hmm. speaking of Queer Eye um, I've been listening to for a while but I don't think I've mentioned it um, Jonathan's podcast Getting Curious so that's Jonathan Van Ness the grooming god the long haired Jesus of Queer Eye yes I don't like his new facial hair I don't want to obviously he's a grooming genius and I know nothing mm. but I'm, I'm not a fan of his new facial hair but it hair. smells good though I'm sure but his new podcast it's just half an hour every week and he talks to sort of experts about things that he's curious about but doesn't necessarily know all that much about mm-hmm. there's one about the sort of bail system in the states bonds and bail system um, in prisons and there have been ones on like renaissance art recently Ooh. and various kind of medical he's just kind of whatever he's curious about he finds an expert and he, he talks to them about the thing for half an hour and so i feel like he's about the knowledge level as me on most of <laughs> yeah. these things so it's quite nice that he will something he's like stupid question but and i'm like i need that thank you thank you jonathan for um, so much you've yeah. given us so There's much also if you're you know not interested in learning stuff but just a big queer eye fan he has done episodes with both anthony and karama where he just talks about you know their lives and that's nice everybody wants to know more about anthony Porowski, let's be honest yeah i mean what a what man a, what a gift to humanity God's all of gift. do you know what all of them are gifts all five of we're them, all so lucky except bobby i'm joking i love bobby as I much as everybody love else bobby and i want him to redecorate my flat please <laughs> bobby my flat is so bleak bobby come needs to us the bobby touch please help us he could use this space well i don't have much space but neither did tom and they made it work and they made it work <laughs> I'm so excited. Anyway, this isn't a Queer Eye podcast. No, it's not. I wish it was, though. It Maybe we should re- recap each episode and make a new podcast. Yes. Oh, my God. Upstage is done. We're from dead June to 15th. us. We're a Queer Eye podcast. Yeah. I think that's it for this week. Yeah. Congratulations to us both. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll... I was going to say, we'll see you next we week. We always say we that. We won't. You, you'll, we'll... you'll hear us. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>